Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Isn't it amazing how we've had to adjust to various ways that we can still worship and, and be together? Uh, churches all across America are finding new ways to connect. Churches that barely had a website are now finding Facebook and broadcasting their services online or an online church. This week, many of our Jewish friends and a growing number of Christians celebrate the Passover uh, with a Seder meal. At the Seder, there are a number of elements, uh, particular foods that are placed on a, on a Seder plate. I'm reminded of one particular thing, and that is the roasted egg. Uh, historians tell us that this roasted egg was not part of the Passover back when Jesus was celebrating it uh, in what we know as the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, but the, last, the, the roasted egg was added after the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The egg is a memorial to the temple. During the Seder, the head of the household would say this, Since it has no beginning and no end, this egg is also a symbol of new life and hope. And it reminds us that God's grace is not confined to sacrifices in the temple. I love that. You know, we're doing exactly the same thing. We're finding that God's grace is not confined to our church buildings either. We are the people that worship God in spirit and in truth. And that can be through TV, it can be through video, it can be through uh, all different kinds of, of technology. We're so blessed that in this day and age, we have such great technology. We're able to stay connected with our friends and family. We've been so fortunate also at the Windsor at Celebration that we're actually, these videos are actually on one of the in-house cable channels at the Windsor so that the residents can, can see this very broadcast. Today we celebrate Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. At churches all around the world, the pastor gets up before the congregation and says, He is risen! And the congregation responds, He is risen indeed. Christians call this past week Holy Week, and it's, it's very closely tied to what our Jewish friends know as Passover. Uh, for us, it starts with Palm Sunday and concludes on today, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, for the Jews, it's Passover followed by seven days called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Today, for most Jews, that entire period is just called Passover, the entire eight days. You know, Passover has always been an important feast. At the time of Jesus, it is estimated that there may have been as many as two million people in Jerusalem at the time for Passover. The streets were packed with people, the shops are open, the city's filled with people, and spirits are high. It's a, it's a week-long festival, and families have traveled a long distance, not only be in Jerusalem for the Passover, but to also be with their family. Uh, during each day of Passover work, the week, the Hallel would be said for morning prayers. For those of you that don't know the Hallel, the Hallel is a Hebrew word meaning praise. The Hallel consists of reciting word for word each of the Psalms 113 through 118 as a joyous praise of song to God. Remember our call to worship? That was out of Psalm 118. Let me read you just this piece of Psalm 118, which would have been the end of every day's prayer, the Hallel, during the time of Passover. 
Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You know, this day that we celebrate, this, this day that is mentioned in our bulletin, this, this is the day. You see, it isn't just Sunday. It isn't just the day we worship. We are in the day that we know who the Messiah is. Uh, the Jewish people had been looking forward to the Messiah. It was prophesied that he would come, he would sit up, he would let the prisoners go free. Going way, all the way back to the time of King David, the prophet Nathan prophesied this. He said, I will raise up your descendant after you, who shall come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. The people of Israel had been looking for the Messiah. Then on Palm Sunday, as we celebrated just this last week, it's the beginning of our Holy Week. Remember how it starts. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. Uh, the prophecy not only is of Nathan, but also of Zechariah is now being fulfilled. This is what it says in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you know the story. The crowd welcomes Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The crowd cries out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The scriptures remind us that the stone the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone. Today, we're living in that day that the Lord has made. I want to take you on a journey today. Actually, I'm going to take you through two important questions that were so important that Jesus asked them to his disciples, and I believe these same two questions are just as equally important today. These two questions are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and the title of my sermon today is, Who do you say that I am? Here's the three verses. Let me read you today the text, and then as customary, we'll look at the context of the text as we begin to unpack these two questions that Jesus asked. Matthew chapter 16 beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16 marks a critical turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Scholars believe that the timing of this conversation um, that Jesus have, will have with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 16 likely occurred in the third year of Jesus' ministry, possibly the summer, even the fall, before he would go to the cross. If that timing is correct, and I believe it is, Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist almost two years prior, three years prior. His ministry had gone public. He had preached, he had gathered together his 12 disciples and began to travel uh, throughout Israel. By this time, he is well known uh, to the people of Israel and his fame has spread far and wide. The common people have embraced him. 
They've seen him heal people, women, men, children, the blind, those with leprosy, those that were mute, unable to walk, the woman with the issue of blood. In this same Gospel of Matthew, just one chapter prior to our reading today, it says this. It says, great crowds came to him, bringing him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them all. He attracted the crowds wherever he went, so much so that the 12 disciples often had to do crowd control. He attracted two different groups of people, the common people that loved him, and he also attracted the attention of the religious leaders who also had heard about Jesus and they don't like what they've heard. Uh, they had seen him heal, but often the healing was on the Sabbath and they didn't like that either. Jesus was a threat to their power base. John the Baptist had been a similar thorn in their side, but Herod had killed John the Baptist. This Jesus, however, didn't just attract the crowds in the desert. He moved with his band of disciples throughout Judea to the various towns, and his popularity was even increasing. So let's get back to our text for today, and we'll take a look at the context in Matthew 16. Now remember, Matthew 16 follows Matthew 15. Jesus had just healed a number of people. The, the text says that they kept bringing people to him, and he healed them all. Then Jesus fed the 4,000 with seven loaves and... A few small fish. So chapter 16 verse 1 it says one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied you know the saying red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means fall weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the time. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Now see, a huge sign was coming. In just a few months from when this is taking place, Jesus would go to the cross. But even his death and resurrection was not going to be enough for the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They would continue to hate Jesus. They would hate everyone that was connected to him or believed in his name. Notice Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah. If you recall, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But even this sign, this similarity, this fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gives would not be enough to change the hearts of the Pharisees or, of, or Sadducees. You know, we, we say those two words together, Pharisees and Sadducees, but they're working together, in this case, actually showed a deep fear among them. The Sadducees and Pharisees were long-standing enemies, and the fact that they came together against Jesus shows they regarded him as a serious threat to their power base. Jesus was chastising them because they couldn't see the signs that everyone else seemed to be able to see. Now, it wasn't just the Sadducees and Pharisees, however. Jesus often was frustrated at the lack of the faith or the understanding of even his own disciples. Even his cousin, John, you know him as John the Baptist. John is, was in prison. His ministry has gone the distance, but now he's a prisoner of Herod. He sends his disciples to Jesus because he isn't sure. John the Baptist is not positive that Jesus is the one, the one that was to come. 
Jesus replies, he says, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, and those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. All great signs, all amazing miracles to be sure, but the question remained, who was Jesus? Jesus knows the cross is just before him. He was on a mission. Soon the scriptures report that Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem, meaning that that was his focus. He was going to accomplish the will of the Father. He would die for the sin of all mankind. And Jesus knew that the common people welcomed him gladly. They would cheer for him, but they did not know who he was truly was. They liked him. They, to him he was a great teacher, a great miracle worker, but really nothing more. So the scriptures tell us that Jesus had left both the throng of people as well as the Pharisees. And that is what it says at the end of this discussion with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the Bible says that he left them and went away. Then he takes his disciples across the lake and then to the north, out of Israel into Gentile territory, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. He leaves them, he leaves behind both the Pharisees and the Sadducees that hate him and the crowds of people who liked him but did not know him. He needs to be sure that his closest friends, his disciples that he calls his apostles, he must make sure that they fully understand. Are they with him? Do they really know who he is? So he begins his discussion with the apostles with a warning. He says, watch out. Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There had been other times the apostles didn't quite get it. Remember Jesus talking with the woman at the well. When the apostles returned to the well, they encouraged Jesus to have something to eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? You know, Jesus then stayed a few extra days after he heard that Lazarus was sick. Remember? Remember the story of Lazarus? He finally says, Lazarus sleeps. And the apostles thought that was, a good, that was good because if he was sleeping, he would get better. No, Jesus had to be very plain and tell them that Lazarus had died. And the, the apostles, then there was a situation where the apostles were in the boat. Uh, likely just a short time before this event we're talking about. A storm blows in and the apostles believe that he's asleep because he doesn't care if he perishes. So Jesus is giving them another lesson, another warning. He says, watch out. Jesus warns them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's, this is pretty much a test. Jesus has done this before, but his disciples don't get a passing grade. They, they still lack understanding. Let me read the next few verses. At this, they, the apostles, began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew that they, what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about not having bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftover you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed you with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 12, then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in bread, but the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
This has to be very frustrating for Jesus. They've been traveling with him now almost three years. He teaches them daily. They have heard all of his sermons, often the same ones over and over. So Jesus continues and asks them two questions. These questions are extremely important. These are the, this is the primary text for today. He knows the Pharisees are against him. The crowds are for him. They will soon cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then within the same week, they'll be yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. So here's the first question. He asked the disciples, verse 13, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus really didn't need to ask. Jesus already knew the answer. He wanted his disciples to acknowledge what other people were saying. So they gave him the four most popular answers that the people would say. Some say John the Baptist, obviously a popular thought, uh, even though both were about the same age and actually overlapped in ministry, but some would say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and that's also very popular because the Jews believe that Elijah would come just prior to the coming of the Messiah. And still others, Jeremiah, they said. You know, Jeremiah was the greatest of all of the latter prophets, or one of the prophets, that is, a spokesperson for God. Today, when we read this passage, we're reading it with 21st century eyes. 2,000 years of Christian history. We have 2,000 years as well of understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So often we think, those misguided Jews, they didn't get it. They didn't know the answer. But those answers that were given were meant to be honoring. These were all great men that they were comparing to Jesus. These, the people loved John the Baptist. They, they loved the stories of Elijah so much that they believed he would be coming back. And Jeremiah or any of the prophets, they're all sent by God. These were holy men of God, able to do amazing things and to teach the people of Israel. But here's the thing. It's possible for the common people to love Jesus, to follow him, but not truly know who he is. It's also possible today, after 2,000 years, to misunderstand who Jesus is. It's possible for a person to even call themselves a Christian, but not understand who he truly is. These are people that, there are people that call themselves Christians, but they, they fail to worship him. Whether they believe Jesus to be sent from heaven or even the Son of God, their lives are relatively unchanged. They look, they behave, they believe, and they even sin, just like all the rest of the people. Now, Jesus actually predicted this. We read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the doors, it'll be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from me. Get away from me, all you who are evil. If we ask someone on, that's on the street today, the man on the street, Jesus, who is Jesus? And you may get some very interesting answers. They may say Jesus was a good man, or maybe they'll even say he was a great man. They may say he was a wise teacher, someone who died on the cross, a prophet that was said to do many miracles, or even raise people from the dead. 
you may ask and also get some pretty harsh answers. He was a fraud, a misquoted teacher. He was just a man. He was a fool who only thought he was the Messiah. Or he was just a figment of the imagination. He never existed. He never lived. Now that leads me to the second question. Jesus says in verse 15, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? In the Greek text, this, this word you has an, an enormous stress. In fact, the you really goes at the first of the sentence. It's as if Jesus was saying, but you, you, I know what everyone else says, but what about you? But you, what say you? It is the greatest question in the entire universe. And it's the one which every man and woman must eventually answer. Peter answers. Peter, <laughs> Peter always answers. I love Peter because he, he, he just, he spoke any time there was a pause in the conversation. Uh, Peter was quick and impulsive. Peter was the one that said, if it's you, Lord, let me come out and walk on the water. Um, Peter does it right this time. Peter was probably not just answering for himself. He's likely answering for all the disciples. Most likely they had a conversation among themselves exactly who Jesus was. And, and Jesus answers correctly. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, again, I've gone back to the Greek. It's actually quite easy with a computer. Uh, the word the in Greek is what we call a definitive article. It's used infrequently, but used specifically when you want to speak emphatically. You could translate it this way. Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. Peter was saying, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're the Messiah sent to save us, and you're the Son of God from heaven. It's a short and simple answer. It's a perfect answer. It's great theology. Don't pass over the answer to this question. Jesus asked it because he needed the disciples to not only be unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he needed them also to be unlike the throng of people that followed him that loved him, but he was not just a healer, not just an amazing teacher, or even a prophet, or someone that could feed 4,000 or 5,000 people like dozens of food trucks pulling up and handing out food for free. He was the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Holy One, the living God. Soon, soon Jesus would be going to Jerusalem, to Calvary. In fact, we can continue by reading the next verse in this Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16, continuing with verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Peter? <laughs> Remember Peter? The impulsive one, well, he's, he was right a minute ago, but this time he's going to get it wrong because right after Jesus says this, in verse 22, Peter takes him aside and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. You see, even Peter could get it occasionally wrong. I again take solace in knowing that Peter was occasionally wrong, just like he was occasionally impulsive. You can be wrong about a lot of things and still know God. You can take the test and get most of the answers wrong. 
but you need to get this question right. Who do you say that I am? And that brings us to today. This is Resurrection Sunday. You see, so often we say that the Bible proves the reality of the resurrection, but we actually have it reversed. It's the resurrection that actually proves the Bible. It proves everything that Jesus taught. It proves that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that was to come. Uh, this is not the Jesus, this, this death of Jesus was not the death of a prophet or a martyr or just a good man. Uh, we celebrate his resurrection because we finally get it. We get this answer right. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for the sin of the world. And then he rose again to show us that he conquered death. If you read the accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection, and there are four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all report the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they all concur. You can get an understanding of the importance of this question, who do you say that I am? This is exactly why we celebrate Easter. Matthew 28 verse 1 says this, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they all fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. This is Jesus. Just as Simon Peter had answered, he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because of the resurrection, we too have a future. You see that those that answer the second question correctly, who do you say I am, have a future. You see, without the, of Jesus, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the answer that Peter gave would have been false. Do you get that? Without the resurrection, what Peter said would have been untrue. If there's no resurrection, there is no Messiah, no Son of the living God. Belief in the resurrection is key to understanding. The Apostle Paul, formerly a Pharisee named Saul, who hated Jesus and hated the Christians, he hated them so much that he would persecute them and put them to death. This Saul had an amazing experience. We call it a conversion. And he finally understood the answer to the question that I asked today. Who do you say that I am? Paul goes on to become the amazing apostle. He travels throughout the Roman Empire. He founds churches and writes about one-third of the entire New Testament. Paul gives us these words in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10. Let me read it for you because it is key to understanding the answer to this question. Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let me pray. Let me pray that we would all understand, that we would all get the answer to this question correctly. You know, there are there be maybe some of us that have been going to church for a long time, maybe even considering ourselves to be Christian. But today we need to all answer this question just like the Apostle Paul. And just like the Pharisees saw, we had, need to have this amazing conversion for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to answer the question, who do you say that I am? You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.